0: Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Thank you, Alex. Good morning, church. Good morning, morning, Hadassah. How are you today? Good. Good, good to see you. It's always a little exciting whenever there's like snow and things are a little disrupted and there's chaos and we're kind of running around figuring things out. It's always just a little fun in a in a stressful way. And uh, I think it's probably the experience of at least uh, uh, Wade and myself and people trying to get here and shuffle your kids out the door and... Uh, I know, I've heard from one person, at least they, they came part the way here and they sent me a text and I'm like, no, I can't do it. So they turned around and went back. But I'm glad that you're here. And uh, thanks for coming out. And uh, for those of you on the live stream, go ahead and smash that like button and uh, subscribe. Leave a comment. <laughs> hey, uh, before I um, keep going on, I want to uh, make a quick announcement to you and uh it's a hiring update um several of you've been praying over the last few weeks for um we needed somebody for operations which incidentally whenever we have snow and we need shovels and uh, snow plows and salt that kicks into gear our operations system and uh which currently that's wade eric and i frantically texting one another um so now we have hired somebody who will take over that. So Zach Frick, uh, if you know Zach, he can. Very excited to have Zach join our team. Uh, so that way the next time it snows, um, I can just sleep and not worry about it. <laughs> no, seriously, it's 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 great to have, those sort of things are pastoral, you know, like, Snow, sn- shoveling the the uh, the lot and salting uh, and having a ready building. Those things are pastoral. Those things help to facilitate ministry and discipleship. So it's not a small thing to have operations and systems running smoothly. And uh, I've I've known Zach for many years. He's been he and Danielle have been members here for six years. Is it right six years? Um, six years. And Zach did a, a residency, which is a one year program where we work together. Um, uh, he worked on our staff for six years um or, or for a year um during the time that he was here so we got to know him and so i'm just really really thankful uh they lead the is it fort thomas or no it's covington it's northern kentucky city group that's what we'll call it uh zach leads that so some of you know him but he's a great addition to our team great fit super excited to have him start uh tomorrow morning is is when he begins so buckle up zach We're doing a six week series called Future Proof, six ways to future proof your faith. And during this series, each week, we're gonna have an emphasis, some different emphasis that is a need in our present time uh, as a church. And we've spoken on numerous occasions about our desire to be what we're calling like an oak tree church. And the picture that comes to mind is this large, old, stately, strong oak tree that just the kind of tree that that you know, that tree has been there forever. That tree is really old and it's strong and it's it's well weathered. Um, A contrast to this are trees that are uh, grown in a greenhouse. Greenhouse trees are known to not be very strong because they've not really been tested. They're weaker and more fragile than trees that grow in a forest because they've never faced strong winds and they've never had to survive the elements. And as a result, they never grow the resiliency that you need to be strong. We wanna be a church that is strong like an oak, like an oak tree. And that tree is mature and healthy. That kind of tree is fortified and stable. That's what we're doing in this church. And that means it's a church that is future-proof, meaning that we're anticipating what the future holds and we're prepared for it so that way we can uh, be strong and endure whatever challenges may come. I believe the six emphases that we're doing over these few weeks will make us a more future-proof church, that will make us future-proof disciples, because when I say future-proof church, I'm not talking merely about the organizational structure. That's a part of it but the structure is meaningless, if not for the people that that are participating in it. So we wanna be future-proof disciples that are part of a future-proof church. That's what we're about. Um, The third emphasis is what we're gonna do today. And the third emphasis is plain-spoken truth. Plain-spoken truth. Let me read a text to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm gonna use this. Um, Are we up there? I, I haven't pushed my button yet, I don't think. I'll just push my button. Let's see if that comes up. i push it. It takes a second, I think. Are you seeing it on the monitor there? How about now? There we go. I think it's coming up. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and this is where we'll spend our time today. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways we refuse so there's there's something he's renounced and there's something he's refused we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is God's word. In this text, Paul is talking about the spiritual nature of ministry. Ministry is not something that is by human ingenuity, human effort. It is not a matter of mere rhetorical skill or human persuasion. It is a work of God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that, that activates and illuminates in the, in the heart of a, of, a, of a person, in the heart of an unbeliever who doesn't know Christ. Whenever they hear the word of God, the Holy Spirit testifies to their heart, this is true, this is real. And then he turns on the lights. God says, let the light shine into the darkness of their heart, which heals them of the blindness that they've been blinded of by the God of this world. And having been healed of that blindness, they're able to see, see the glory of Christ in the face of Jesus, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is talking about here is that ministry is spiritual. It is something that is a God-given work. He does it, we're servants. I've heard somebody uh, say once that evangelism is, we're we're just like the Amazon box. The treasure is inside. The thing you want is inside. We're just the vehicle of delivery. But the work itself, the treasure itself is God himself. God is the treasure. God is the work. God is the one who is doing the work. And we're merely servants. Human methods, are they don't work. They they don't have any power because humans were fallen and sinful. The power is God's power, right? So the Corinthians, they had this elitist mindset. They were accustomed to having professional teachers come that were skilled in classical rhetoric that would give instruction. And that's what they preferred in their ministry style. Whenever Paul comes along preaching a gospel and they were saved and converted by his teaching, the ministry style then that as Paul continued to teach them, they had in mind, they associated it with this professional class of elite teachers, so that's what they preferred. So they wanted a ministry style that sounded and looked like these professionals that would come. More refined, more respectable. But Paul knew that the power of God and the power of the gospel is in a plain spoken truth. It is in the Holy Spirit, not in some flashy, exciting, polished presentation. And so in an earlier letter, the book of 1 Corinthians... Paul wrote this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So if you have it, it's worth turning over there and having a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So Paul is now talking in this text. He's, He's referencing back to when he first preached the gospel to them, right? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, conscious choice, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he means is it's not that Paul didn't know anything. Paul's not an idiot. He's one of the most brilliant minds who have ever lived. However, when he came, he's like, I'm not going to dazzle you with all of my smarts, because I know that will play right into your idolatry of respectable people, respectable teaching. And so Paul, he did the counterintuitive thing. He went into this respectable, high-class, elitist sort of city, and he says, I'm going to resolve and decide to know nothing among you except a a bloody, dead, crucified Savior who raised from the dead for our sins. That's what I'm going to proclaim to you. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that, here's the reason here's why he didn't use fancy language and he didn't spice it up to make it all lofty and beautiful and respectable. He did it simple, straightforward, demonstration of the spirit power, plain spoken gospel, straight to the heart, knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified. He did all of those things, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was a brilliant man, but he consciously chose to speak in a very plain way to not to not dazzle with his brilliance so now back in second corinthians same people different letter second corinthians chapter four he's returning to the theme of defending his ministry method and he he goes through these three lines that he won't cross we've already read them we'll look at them again there are three lines here that he won't cross Verse one and two, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. So the, he, he includes the mercy of God here saying that this is not some ministry that is, that is man-made. I'm not sent here by you know, some professional Christian uh, PhD disseminating sim, uh, institution. I'm not coming here based on some human sending. This is the call of God. You look at Galatians chapter one, Paul says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by... God and Jesus Christ. So he is saying, I am sent by the mercy of God. This is God's work. That's why I'm here. That's why you're hearing what you're hearing from me. So having this ministry, this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. Hardship, trial, pain, we can handle it. Because this is a work of God in us, this is not a work of man. Well, here's what we're not going to do. We have renounced Number one, first thing he renounces is disgraceful underhanded ways. That's uh, the first one we, we could say he refuses to bury the lead. This disgraceful underhanded ways, another way you could say it is burying the lead. That's what a, That's a journalism term. So whenever a journalist has something that they want to they want to say the thing that needs to be said, but they don't really want to draw attention to it for some reason, some, maybe some uh, conflict of interest that they, own ha- that, they, that they have themselves. They'll bury the lead, which means the important and most relevant info- information is going to be way down low in the column, beyond the point where a lot of people will read when they're reading an article. So they bury the lead. So they want to claim to have said it without drawing attention to it. So the, the plain truth, the difficult truth, they're going, to, they're going to bury that, push it down, rather than stating it openly, here's the issue you need to know. Paul says, I don't do that. That's disgraceful, that's underhanded. I want to tell you straight up what the deal is. That's number one. Number two, we refuse, so there's something he won't do. Number two, we refuse to practice cunning. Refuse to practice cunning. Um, that's, a, that's another word for deception. In fact, in the, in the NIV, it uses the word deception. We refuse to practice deception. The idea that Paul has in mind is deliberately changing the message, changing the content, to make it a more attractive message for people. Paul refuses to do that. So, refuse to practice cunning, and here's another thing he refuses to do: or to tamper. With God's word. That's number three. Paul refused to manipulate scripture. NIV, in this verse, or in this instance, it says he refuse, refuses to distort the word of God. You know, the word tamper is the same word that they use in the original language of wine merchants who would water down their wine. Same word that they would use for that practice. So, what Paul is literally saying is I refuse to water down the word of God. It's like he's saying, the preaching you're getting from me is barrel strength all the time. You're getting the whole enchilada every time. I'm not gonna hold back. You're gonna hear it all. So the bottom line of what Paul is communicating here in verse two, and verse two is where we're really focusing most of our attention. Paul had utter confidence that God would use this open statement of the truth to accomplish his purpose. So he refuses disgraceful underhanded ways. He refuses to practice cunning. He refuses to tamper with God's word. But by contrast, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What he's referring to there is commending ourselves. He's saying that that's that's the authorization that we need. If you want to know that God has authorized me rather than being authorized by some external entity that would send me and give a commendation, my commendation and my commendation to your conscience is the fact that I'm going to speak to you plainly. That's the big idea of this text, and that's our ministry emphasis for today. I want to, I'm, I'm to go through these other verses towards the end, but we want to camp out here for a good long time. A really long time, a very long time. You're going to, no, I'm kidding. Um, Our ministry emphasis for today is plain spoken truth. And that, that, that emphasis comes from verse two, where he says, by the open statement of the truth, that was Paul's commitment, and that's our commitment at myself as a preacher and as a church, Christ the King Church, to state the truth openly, plain spoken truth, that's our commitment. So um, throughout the rest of our sermon today, I want to challenge you with a couple of things. I want to challenge you uh, to be confident in God's word, and I want you to be confident to speak it plainly. very simple. I want you to be confident in God's word, and I want you to have the confidence to speak it plainly. As most of you are aware, there was a tiny bit of controversy at Christ the King Church last year. And it was about this issue. This was a big part of that controversy. And so my commitment to speak openly the truth of Scripture and to apply that to our lives, that was criticized significantly. And as that controversy played out, I made a promise at one of those family meetings that I'm going to um, explain this. I want to to, uh, explain our position at a vision series in January, which vision series in January. I want to explain this position to you. Um, Now, there's something I want to make sure that we're clear about. This morning, what I want to do is I want to critique an idea. I'm critiquing an idea. This idea was held by members and elders who used to be a part of our church but have left now. And I want to critique it because I believe it is a serious error for reasons that I'll explain as we go along. But i want to ask you to take my word on this, and this is, this is my heart. I'm asking you to take my word on this, that I am not personally attacking any individual. I've disciplined my mind in preparing to not think of any individual, to not try to get jabs in at individuals. I'm speaking of an idea that I think is dangerous. So that's what we're talking about, is, a, is an, an idea that we should reject. And I'm not saying anything about any individuals. And if you're wondering, hey, is he talking about so-and-so there? I give you my word, I am not doing that. So you can just put your mind at ease. That's not what I'm doing. This idea um, has become popular because of, um, there's a lot of evangelical thought leaders that have promoted this idea. And the idea uh, has been promoted by scholars, institutions, um, popular authors that we would read popular podcasts and preachers you might listen to, uh, book publishers, websites, blogs. This this idea has become very common. And what I'm getting at is is simply this, that the confidence, our confidence in the word of God has eroded in modern evangelical Christianity, and that's a problem. Our confidence in the word of God has eroded in modern evangelical Christianity, and that's a problem. I've seen it in the thought leaders, and I've seen it in our church, and sadly, I've seen it in myself. I've seen how there are times when a scripture will make me uncomfortable, and it's really difficult to preach it, really difficult to talk about it, and so I know the inclination of my heart is like, you know, life will be a lot easier if I just steer clear of that landmine and find a way around it. The temptation is in me, so this is something that I think is, is part of the human condition, um, but it's, it, it is being enabled and encouraged rather than corrected in our, the subculture of evangelical Christianity. And I'm using that term loosely. I don't have a very tight definition of evangelical Christianity. I'm just saying the people that we listen to and pay attention to and respect, leaders that we see online and we will read their books and so on, rather than it being corrected, it's being encouraged and excused. And I have participated in that and the lord has convicted me and i i want to pass this along because i don't want this to be characteristic of our church because ultimately we won't be future proof if if we don't have confidence in the word of god we will compromise at some point we won't be able to to be an oak tree unless we are really confident in the word of god and we walk by faith in the scripture so we might say things like, well, I love Jesus. I mean, I believe the Bible. But there are some truths in the Christian faith that are embarrassing to talk about, aren't they? Not Embarrassing not because there's anything wrong with the truth, but embarrassing because it offends our sensibilities. And that's, that is the problem. And so what we do is we avoid talking about publicly certain scriptures, certain subjects. It's easier to avoid them. Or obscure them, and so I like to think of them as, as like we have this evangelical penalty box. You know, in hockey, you know, if you have a player that's misbehaving or you know commits some kind of a foul, they'll they'll stick him in the penalty box for a while, and then you'll play with an unevenly matched uh, teams. So you'll you'll be down one player if your guy's in the penalty box, and that gives the other team an advantage. And so with with scripture, there's certain verses. It's like man, like. That one verse really makes me uncomfortable. I'd rather not read that one. And so we'll put that verse in the penalty box and we'll just sort of ignore it and not talk about it. Well, you already know the topics that I'm talking about. You just don't want me to say it, do you? Why? Because it's uncomfortable. It's a little embarrassing because we know and we hear from the media what the power brokers of our society think. I'm talking about things like, topics like abortion, topics like LGBTQ plus lifestyles, topics like critical theory, critical race theory, racism, that whole constellation of topics, politics. These are, there, there's there's a number of, of, of topics, but these are the ones that, that tend to be routinely uh, debated in public and it's, or. We're uncomfortable whenever those things come up in public, and these these are issues that are very relevant for modern life, aren't they? It's like we we are we're faced with messaging about them every day, seemingly every day, and it's not just uh, it's not just coming from some kooky fringe of our culture. This is coming from the mainstream, like our political leaders, our cultural leaders, our institutions, our um, you know, Washington, D.C., business, your work environment. It's, it's like it's everywhere. Everybody is, is on board with, with promoting a certain agenda. And as Christians, it's important for us to know what the Bible says about those things so that we can be faithful, so that we don't, so we don't compromise our faith with these ideas. So we need to talk about them. But whenever we do talk about them, there is a discomfort that comes with talking about them. And so, what we've seen happen in our church is I will talk about an issue. Somebody gets upset or offended. They don't like it. They disagree. Um, And so, what, what I hear a lot is I don't disagree with what you said, Michael. But when you said it, so and so got really hurt, so and so was really offended these people here, they're probably gonna leave the church because you talk about these things. So we just not talk about it? Do we just ignore it? And if we just ignore it, then what happens? Well, whatever messaging we hear is more likely to be assumed to be the truth. And so we end up, we end up adopting beliefs that are false and we absorb those and incorporate those into our faith. And we think, that it's biblical Christianity. Because my pastor never said anything about that stuff. So what I think about it must be right. I was never corrected on it. And so in, in my view, this needs to be discussed. These things need to be talked about openly, plain spoken truth, even in especially about the issues that we're most uncomfortable with. Because the truth matters. Because the souls of men and women matter. The glory of God matters. So in recent years, there's a debate that has broken out in leadership circles that I pay attention to about appropriate Christian speech. Um, Christians are debating things like, well, what's appropriate in a sermon? What's appropriate for a political discourse, for Christians as they engage in political discourse? How should Christians handle hot button cultural issues? How should we speak about them online? What's good for our evangelistic witness whenever we're proclaiming the gospel, whenever we're telling somebody about Christ, do we want them, the person that we want to reach with the gospel, to associate what we say with people that we think are kooky and that's, that's a bad representation of Christianity? Those, these are the kind of questions that people are asking. Those are good questions, legitimate questions, and they need answers. And so there seems to be two camps on the issue. This is a Gross oversimplification, but in the time constraints we have, that's what we got. Um, one camp is are, are those who advocate for plain spoken truth. That's me. Uh, uncomfortable as it is, that's me. That's what we should do. There's another camp, those, and that is those who would advocate for a, a, a type of Christian speech that would be labeled more winsome. Now, you might have some other label that you would, you, you would use. I'm just going to use the label winsome because that has been popularized in the last year or so as the most preferred way to speak about stuff is to speak about things winsomely now that is assumed to be the more christ-like way of speaking and so usually the word comes up whenever somebody speaks directly or plainly on an issue and there is offense taken by someone else and then the conversation is about whether or not the person should have said the thing that offended somebody else And then what is usually said or often said in that situation is like, well, like, you know, you you said that, but it wasn't very winsome in the way you communicated it. And so the the idea is that we should be winsome in the way that we speak. Now, a lot of times what what happens is that people are so easily offended. We're so easily offended these days, right? That it has the effect of shutting down a conversation conversation and doing so as a matter of Christian obedience. So here's an error. Somebody speaks truth about that error. This person gets offended, and then the fact that that person gets offended is assumed to be an indictment on the person who spoke truth. And say, this person is offended, therefore, you weren't being Christ-like, because Jesus would never have offended somebody like that. That's how it goes. So it is assumed that our Christian witness needs to be winsome because that is how we display Christ to the world. So I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Southern Baptist Convention, I think it was the convention two years ago. So about a a year and a half ago. It's always in the summer. Um, There's always a lot of secular media that covers the Southern Baptist Convention because it's the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. So when you have a convention, there's a lot of attention that is given to the, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. And so there was a debate um, about this. Uh, there was a debate about how sexual abuse cases are handled, um, similar issues about women being pastors. Lots, there's always lots of controversy. Um, and so the secular media is there and they're reporting on this. And every day you get you know, on the nightly news, here's what the Southern Baptists are talking about today. And it's always skewed in such a way to make the Southern Baptist look foolish. And so whatever, the people that are in the, on the floor, they're making motions and they're debating issues. They don't want to appear foolish, certainly not on the NBC Nightly News or on CNN. And so there was a comment that one of the leaders made that was used to criticize somebody who was speaking and he said, hey man, the world is watching we need to act in an xyz way because the world is watching and the person that was speaking was not doing anything inappropriate they were debating an issue but the fact that the world was watching was taken as that is the thing that we we need to take into account in the way we talk about stuff basically he was saying like we don't want to argue over christian ethics because those those debates are difficult and we have views that the new york times or cnn might be offended by and that we would be embarrassed to have publicized and since the world is watching we shouldn't talk about that let's just focus on the gospel let's just focus on saving souls and that's that's what they'll say so what happens is essentially in short being winsome is presented as always the most moral and christ-like thing to do and the most evangelistic thing to do. So Christians should adopt a winsome posture towards the world at all times because this honors Christ. But what ends up happening is that we're not actually speaking truth. We're actually allowing the perception of the world to dictate what we can and cannot talk about as Christians within a Christian denomination. But since the world is watching since unbelievers might think we're crazy and we don't want them to think we're crazy because no one will believe in a a crazy Christian religion if they think all the people are nuts. So we just like, well, we don't talk about that. And so important issues are silenced and sidelined. And if some Christian fails to be winsome, we can assume some things about them. They must not care about reaching the lost. They must be self-righteous. They're judgmental. Man, they're awfully combative. They seem mean. And that's what is assumed about these people. They probably love controversy. Now, they'll tell you that there are particular times when Christians should be bold and uncompromising. The winsome crowd will tell you, yes, we believe all about, we're all about bold, uncompromising truth and speaking the truth. But it seems as though the time never comes and the moment of urgency never arrives to actually speak it it's almost like being able to posture as i am all about bold truth but you cannot identify a particular time when i've spoken it so it's something that i can signal that i do but i don't actually do but that's that's not the way this works it seems to me that modern evangelical christianity is infected with this mindset and it's, it's a sort of thing that is subtle, it's subconscious in a lot of ways. It, it lives at the level of motives that we don't always know and detect within our own hearts. And because of that, we're just like, well, no, I'm not compromised. No, I'm, I'm totally courageous, I'm totally bold. I wouldn't, you know, it, and it is assumed that there's no way that I would ever sidestep the truth. And when in fact we do, because it's like, listen folks, I know the disease because I have it. I don't like stirring up controversy. I don't like making people mad. I don't like having enemies and people getting upset with me. I hate that, I'm a people pleaser. And yet, that is, that is a necessary aspect of doing Christian ministry. But if it's in me, I'm sure it's not only in me. Like, this is a temptation to back down from truths that are difficult, unpleasant, potentially embarrassing because it's hard and because people will think that you're a kook, but I'm not a kook. Look, I've got my credentials. We're in an educated, sophisticated part of town. We're here in Uptown Cincinnati. Professionals come from Uptown Cincinnati. This is where you go and start your career. This is where you make a mark that you can launch into into the upper stratosphere from here. We're educated. Christ the King Church is a church that has always had high achiever type of people in it. What high achiever wants to be a kook? What high achiever wants to be associated with the nut jobs that we wanna make fun of? But there are things in the Bible, there are parts of the Christian faith that no matter how winsomely you communicate it, they're gonna think you're nuts. There is no pleasant, refined way of saying it, if you say what you actually believe, what the Bible actually says, there's no way around it. It's, it's, it's part of the recipe of Christianity. There are things that the world is gonna hate. And part of our need to bear witness to the truth is to have the courage to stand tall in the midst of opposition. And the opposition may not be, we're gonna persecute you and throw you in jail, and you're never gonna see your family again, and we're gonna ruin your life, That may happen, that happens in some parts of the world. Maybe it'll happen here. But what's more likely to happen here is you'll be called names, you'll be, you won't get invited to the birthday party. Uh, Your friends will will be embarrassed of you. And that's powerful, that's social credit. Nobody wants to be that weird Christian guy. We all wanna be, I'm the respectable kind of Christian. I'm the kind of Christian that can you know, go on television and, and speak so powerfully and compellingly about the Christian faith. That's what we want. That's how we want to see ourselves. What I'm saying is that there is no version of the actual truth that will ever pass muster in that environment. They're always gonna think you're nuts if they know what you actually think. We might go long today. <laughs> Obviously, I disagree with the position. I think winsome Christianity is driven by a desperate need to never offend anybody. It's driven by a desperate need to be respectable, to be, able, to be welcomed into uh, the, the, the circles of the higher class. But if we adopt this position and we allow what other people think to control how we speak, then we're going to have an ever-shrinking, ever-narrowing range of what we can actually talk about. We can only talk about the things that we feel are our strong suit. But anything that might be controversial, a little difficult, we're not going to be able to talk about those. And so what ends up happening is we cultivate a spirit and a culture within a church body or within our own hearts of weakness and fear. We end up encouraging people to shrink back when what's needed is for them to stand tall. I hope you know my heart enough to know that I'm not advocating for being combative. I've been accused of that. I'm not advocating for combative speech. I'm advocating for clear speech. Doesn't You don't have to add the secret nasty sauce, the spice to it. You don't have to dial up the rhetorical heat to 11. If you just say it in the most sweetheart, your grandma crocheting on her couch kind of way, they're still going to think you're nuts. And folks, this is not a secondary issue. Words matter. The way we speak matters. Because truth matters. And clear truth is perhaps the one thing most needed in our world right now. We can't lose it. All right, so I want to give you six reasons why winsome Christianity doesn't win. Six reasons why winsome Christianity doesn't win. I want to try to move through these quickly, but uh, hopefully, you'll be able to get, get the gist as I'm going through here. This is why we should reject it. Number one, winsomeness has become an unbiblical moral imperative that governs all Christian communication. It's this unbiblical moral imperative that governs all Christian communication. And it's more concerned about how people feel than what's objectively true. And it often assumes that non-Christians are more offended by our tone than by our truth. And further, it assumes a neutral public square where reasonable Christian arguments will be well-received if they are presented in a winsome way. That's, not, that, that's just false. The public square is not neutral. Christian beliefs are not welcome no matter how nice they are. All right, so that's number one. Number two, by any definition of the word, Jesus was not winsome. Jesus does not fit the definition of winsomeness, which would mean, if you really push it to the extreme, Jesus wasn't very Christ-like. He always spoke the truth. Jesus never shied away from offending people. Jesus offends me all the time because I need it. That's what correction does. All right, number three, a commitment to winsomeness encourages Christians to avoid or obscure unpleasant truths. A commitment to winsomeness encourages Christians to avoid or obscure unpleasant truths. Think of it this way. Winsome Christianity is going to emphasize what? God's love. God's mercy. God's grace. And they're going to, we're going to, we will emphasize those things at the expense of God's holiness. God's wrath. His judgment. Hell. Those things on that list are just as true as the first list. But if you look at the proportion of what we hear, we hear, and of course, like, we want to talk about the fruit. We want to talk about the good things. I'm all for that. But not to neglect the others. We have to, we have to communicate the whole counsel of God. All right, number four, winsomeness undermines its own goal of bearing witness for the gospel and leading people to Christ. The goal of bearing witness to the gospel and leading people to Christ is undermined by adopting this winsome posture. It doesn't accomplish what it purports to accomplish. So as I was said in the previous point, there's the bad news of sin, judgment, and hell. Those things are unpleasant, and it might offend people, so it receives less attention. And then there's the good news of God's mercy, love, and grace. Those are pleasant. People love hearing about that, so it receives more attention. Now, if you overemphasize one and neglect the other, you're getting an imbalanced gospel, which means that what you're presenting to people is not something that's actually an accurate representation of the truth. If I wanted to be really, I don't want to be nasty, but I would say it's, it's potentially, how about that? Potentially underhanded, potentially tampering with God's word, potentially dishonest, Paul refuses to do those things. He's like, I would never do that. It's the open statement of the truth. That's where the power of God is, and we'll, we'll show you that in a moment. But, but if, you, if you overemphasize one and you neglect the other, what you're presenting is an incomplete gospel, which means that the power of God is not fully, fully present. It's a gospel without teeth. It's a gospel without the life-changing power because it lacks essential ingredients for saving faith. We can't minimize or overlook the unpleasant parts. We need to clearly see the badness of the bad news in order to delight in the goodness of the good news. But whenever Christians talk about issues and we fear someone will get offended, then a lot of times we only want to emphasize the things that will will be an encouragement to them and that they will like. And so what they end up doing is they end up following a Jesus that isn't actually the real Jesus of the Bible. It's a good news only Jesus. But there, there is no none of the repentance and and knowing what it was that Jesus died for, knowing what he saved us from, knowing that he absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. Those, like what Alex said earlier, he's like, he delights in the gospel It it it, it moves him powerfully every time he contemplates it. And I'll guarantee you, I say this because I know Alex, I guarantee you he's not just thinking about the fluffy cotton candy verses of scripture about the gospel. He's thinking about the whole counsel of God and how it moves him so powerfully because he knows exactly what it is. Is that jesus saved him from and what the mercy of god is like and what we rightly deserve that is when we delight most fully And the good news is when we see the badness of the bad news we have to have both we can't just pick and choose only the good parts because then we're not presenting the true jesus number five winsomeness hinders discernment winsomeness hinders discernment so if you recall the message from last week Discernment is the art of seeing what's there, meaning we're seeing what wants to remain hidden. And so we have to be willing to see ugly and unpleasant truth when it's there. We have to be willing to see what's there, even if it happens to be ugly and unpleasant. But winsomeness is and entails almost a pre-commitment to not seeing things. Pretending they're not there, acting like it doesn't exist. Acting like there's no such thing as hell or wrath or judgment. Acting as though that's not a sin. God affirms that. God's all for that. God, God loves you no matter what you do. Acting as though that's true when the scriptures clearly teach that that's not true. Repentance is a, is a necessary part of our, of our salvation. But when you're not allowed to talk about or even see unpleasant truths, it's easier to just stop noticing them. So let me ask you this. Like In the last few years, you may have noticed, I've noticed this for sure, that it seems like an increasing number of Christians have bought into extreme radical gender ideology. Have you seen this? It's not just happening out in the world on libs of TikTok or something. It's not like that's the only place where people are buying into this stuff. Christians are buying into it. And they're saying that this is God's will, this is God's plan, this is good. How in the world could a Christian affirm something so universally denounced in Scripture? Is it because the Bible is silent? Is it because the Bible has nothing to say about manhood, womanhood, marriage, sex, family, homosexuality? Is the Bible silent on those things? No. It's because we're silent. It's because we're too gutless to say anything about it, if I'm being frank. And we've got to be... It's not comfortable. Man, it's not comfortable. But it's honest. Number six, winsomeness is the naive belief that people would be more open to the gospel if Christians were just nicer. It's the naive belief that people would be more open to the gospel if Christians were just nicer. It's like saying people would believe the gospel and become Christians if Jesus had better marketing. But the scriptures teach that people don't believe the gospel because their hearts are hardened in unbelief. I would think like this winsome movement is like the seeker sensitive movement for millennials. It's the same thing our parents' generation tried back in the 80s with big churches and drums and praise teams, that'll win them for Christ. Uh, It didn't. And now let's just update it. Let's give it a new coat of paint, and we'll call it winsome. If we're just nicer, that'll do it. No, it won't. Why? Let me show you. I I might need to push my button again. Oh, we're still here. Cool. Look at what Paul says here about unbelief. If our gospel is veiled, even if our gospel is veiled, mean they can't see it, The truth of the gospel can't see it. We're thinking they would see it if we were more winsome. They would see it if we would just change our strategy, change our marketing, better PR. We need ripped jeans and a fog machine and big laser light show. That's what's going to bring them in. That's what's going to show them we're relevant, cool, hip. We're not like those weird, fundy Christians. Let's say the gospel is veiled. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing not us. We see it. We see Christ. In their case, the case of the unbelievers, the God of this world, whoops, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why they don't see. Their blindness is not caused by us being mean. Their blindness is not caused by us being combative or judgmental. We're accused of that, we're saying like, man, if Christians weren't just so judgmental and mean, how much better the world would be. That's not the problem. The problem is that there is a real enemy, the devil, who has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep this veil over their eyes, to prevent them from seeing the goodness of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the real problem. So how do you fix the real problem? It's not a strategy, it's not a technique, it's not some human ingenuity, it's nothing that we can cook up. What will fix the problem is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit work? The Holy Spirit typically does not appear to people like he did on the road to Damascus for the Apostle Paul and says, hey, I'm Jesus, you're persecuting me, you need to cut that out and believe in me and be an apostle. It's not the normal way it works. How does it normally work? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, which means ordinary, normal, unsophisticated, untrained men and women who love Jesus, who believe the Bible, openly stating the truth. That's how the Holy Spirit works. That's how this supernatural spiritual blindness is miraculously healed. It is a work of God, and it is not up to human ingenuity to manufacture it. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Folks, this winsome idea, ultimately it's like you're winning them to yourself, not to Christ. What we proclaim is not ourselves. Not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord. Who is us? Well, we're servants. That's all we are. Or Amazon boxes. We're just delivering a package. The treasure is inside plain, ordinary, brown (laughs) Amazon boxes. But God, he is the one who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, here's our testimony, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what God did. And that's the only way anybody is saved. That's the only way. People are spiritually blinded by unbelief. They're imprisoned by this blindness. Sin is a God-sized problem, and it requires a God-sized solution. And ultimately, trying to be winsome in order to reach them is a lack of faith in the power of God. And it is believing in our own selves. It is foolish and naive. The only hope of any unbeliever has is to be made alive, to be regenerated by the Spirit, to be awakened by a clear, plain word of truth to their sinful condition and their need for a Savior so that they can know without question that their only hope is not in their church. It is not in that that preacher that seems so cool. It is in the eternal truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. There's no dressing it up. It needs to be unambiguously announced, heralded confidently and boldly, without hesitation, without fear. Read you a couple verses. This is Paul in the book of Acts. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesians, knowing he'll never see him again. And there's two statements that he makes here that, that really reflect his heart. Acts 20, verse 20. He's kind of giving a defense of his ministry, and he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Teaching, I did it in public, and I did it in private. I didn't shrink from declaring anything that was profitable. And we know this to be true. Usually, the things that profit us the most are the things that hurt us the most. It's the things that cut. If you look at your life, if there's these pillar moments in your life, they you say, man, God really did a powerful work there. Not all the time, but a lot of times it's when you had something confront you in a powerful way. You were convicted. You were cut to the heart. And God changed you because you heard something that was true that you didn't want to hear. You heard an unwelcome message, and God used that to change you. Paul says, If I saw profit in it, I didn't shrink from declaring a syllable if I thought it could benefit you. And the next one, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There's not some random verse in the book of Leviticus that Paul wouldn't touch. If it was profitable, he's going to preach it. He's going to declare it. He's going to help them grow by being plain spoken. I've been interacting with somebody on Twitter. Um, it was a, a, a man who started to comment on some post that I'd made. Um, and at first I thought he was trolling me, you know, because <laughs> he had some questions like, well, what about this? What about that? And I was like, come on, dude, what, what are you trying to do here? And so I just I I would respond with like, what do you think about that? And I asked questions and then he would respond. It's like, well, I'm well, I'm, I'm just struggling to see where you're coming from. And then eventually he said, well, okay, I'm, I've been a believer for four months and I'm a de-transitioning uh, transgender. So he's a man that was identifying as a woman and is now de-transitioning. He said, I got saved four months ago. And then he, he shared a link saying like, you know, I've, I've benefited from reading stuff like your material. And there was this other YouTube link that he included in the post. And so I looked at that YouTube post and it's a guy's like, Bible truth, or I can't remember the name of it, but it's all like hard Bible truth is the guy. And he's a younger guy, so it's like, you know, probably could relate to him a little better, but, but it, was, it was truth that this guy was looking for. Now I promise you, probably four to one odds, three to one, I don't know what the ratios would be, but how many Christians would tell them God accepts you just the way you are and lie to this man? participate in a delusion and never help him but affirm him all the way to hell how sad but God will use plain spoken truth to change hearts yes people will be offended and I hope please I hope you hear my heart I am not advocating for shock jock Christianity where we're just encouraging an army of jerks I'll be after you if you do that's, I am not interested in that. There is respect, there is courtesy, there's tact. These things matter. We're human beings, those, those subjective elements are real. But what I'm saying is like, don't bury the truth and under the guise of I'm being tactful and courteous and polite. No, you're not, you're lying. Don't do that. Don't lie to people under this false pretense of being winsome because you're not winning anybody. You're, you may end up alienating people from the gospel because you're not showing them truth. Is there anything that is in more short supply than truth these days? Well, the last paragraph of my conclusion, I'm just going to keep you guessing because our time is short. Um, but let me, let me close in prayer and uh, yeah, just encourage you. The truth matters because men and women, their souls are at stake. Ultimately, for the glory of God, but it matters, even when it's hard. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, um, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the God who created the universe by speaking simply words. Words matter. Truth matters. And Lord, we're living in a day of truth decay, <laughs> where truth is unwelcome. There's not the presumption of good faith and goodwill in the public square of different people that as we communicate to one another. And so, Lord, we don't want to live in fear. We don't want to just worry that at anything we say somebody might want to you know come and give us a hard time or humiliate us and yet we we just do have to acknowledge lord that those things are seem to be increasing and we want to be prepared for the future when the truth will continue to be more and more unwelcome and so god like there's we don't know exactly what that would look like and all the specific applications take a lot of wisdom and prayer discerning the leading of your spirit we need to be more savvy and understanding when to pick our moments what to say but Lord I pray that you will help us to discern our own hearts of knowing when we're just acting out of fear and we don't want to say something because we're afraid to and so Lord I pray for these men and women here that I love I love these men and women I don't want to see people needlessly suffer for speaking truth. But Lord, may we not shrink back either. So teach us, Lord. Teach us the answers to these questions about how do we engage with truth in this modern time. And we thank you, Jesus, that we can be here today because somebody spoke truth to us. Somebody preached truth to the person who spoke truth to us, and somebody's preached truth to that person. And we're all here because of a long succession of people who were bold enough to say something true, many of whom suffered for doing so. So God, make us a courageous people. Make us future-proof at Christ the King Church. Help us to have the courage for an open statement of the truth. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.